0: Have the great pleasure of talking about living from the right side of the cross, and I think it's my favourite thing to talk about. In fact, it's probably the only thing I talk about most of the time. Um, It just feels like a really positive, powerful thing. So got a couple of visual aids to help me. Um, So you'll see those in a minute. But I'll just share a bit about my spiritual background, my Christian heritage. Um, I was brought up in a Christian family and we've been coming to Kingsway. We came to Kingsway from being quite young. I was probably in infant school, junior school when I first started to come. So that's about 40 years ago. And um, Kingsway has evolved a lot in the time, obviously, in those 40 years. People have come and gone. And we've believed a lot of different things as we've gone on our little journey. <laughs> That's just a tea lady, the <laughs> internet. Um, so we've been on a very interesting journey as a, as a family, as a church family. And a few years ago... Um, One of our leaders read a book by Joseph Prince and it was destined to rain. And I think it's on your, is it not on your book list anymore? No? Oh, okay. Well, uh, you might, yes, you might want to read that book. Because English is not Joseph Prince's first language. um, He's from Singapore. So um, his English is very simple. Uh, he's a very intelligent man and his depth of knowledge about the Bible is incredible. And what he talks about from Genesis right through to Revelation um, and seeing Jesus through the Bible all the way through is wonderful. If you ever listen, to, get a chance to listen to him on the internet, um, it's just a brilliant way of seeing the whole story of redemption And seeing Jesus, who is hidden in the Old Testament, seeing him, he'll point him out and say, look, that's Jesus there, that's Jesus there, this is Jesus here. He shows him all the way through in such a beautiful way. And reading that book, I can say, honestly changed my life. I've read a lot of books, and you think at first, oh, this is fabulous, brilliant, I'm going to be different, this is the book that's going to mean I'm different, and habits come and go don't they you start a diet or you start a a new year's resolution I'm going to do this positive thing or that positive thing and you think it'll change my life and then six months down the line you think oh what happened to that new habit or what happened to that good resolution but having read um, Destined to Rain I would say that it has changed the way I think and changed the way I believe about myself in such a profound way it's had a lasting impact on me and I'm a wife and I'm a mum and um, it's had a lasting impact on my family too because grace has impregnated itself so strongly into my family life that I react and act to situations and people in such a different way now that um, people see me differently, you know, in the family. And um, I think a massive result of that has been unconditional love has f- is flowing in relationships where it wasn't in the past. And I can talk to you in much more detail about that if you want some examples when I'm not being recorded. I, could <laughs> I can share um, how it's helped in relationships. Um, but growing up, I found it unbelievable to think that I was loved by God, completely or by anybody else, family or or whoever, um, because I never believed fully that I could be fully loved. I could believe that parts of me could be loved, aspects of me were lovable but if my behaviour didn't line up to what I thought was perfection, then I didn't think that I could be lovable. So it sort of bounced off my inner self, I think. And I, I think on the inside, I was desperate to be loved and accepted 100%, but didn't really ever feel it. You go through times, don't you, when you think everything's okay, everything's going well, but there are, then there are times when you think, gosh, just look at the state of me on the inside. And um, as a child, if there were rules, if somebody gave me 10, ten rules to keep, I, would, I couldn't even try and keep one of them. I could try, but I couldn't even keep one of them. And that has continued into my adult life. So if you say to me, follow this step-by-step thing, self-improvement self-help whatever it is I'm all right for a bit but I can't I can't keep it up I can't humanly keep up the standard I just can't and as a as a certainly as a child if you set me a um a height to attain to I'd just fall off the the end straight away I couldn't keep rules um whether that just made me a very naughty child or just somebody who tried and failed and then gave up trying, I don't know. Even when we moved into this building four years ago, apparently the chandelier in this building is incredibly expensive. And I've always had a thing about chandeliers from being a small child. I had an obsession with chandeliers. So when we moved into this building, I just I thought, it's a magnificent thing. It wasn't necessarily to my taste, but I was in awe of it as a magnificent thing. And Andy once told us in church that we must never touch that chandelier. Now, I would never have considered touching it if Andy had never said, don't touch that chandelier. I would not. Have. I wouldn't have. Why would it enter my head? I walk past it on the stairs and I think, wow. But I would never have touched it unless Andy had said, you mustn't touch that chandelier. So uh, for, I don't know, was it six months, a year maybe? Every time I went past it, I gave it a little stroke. <laughs> patted it gently on the way past because I don't know whether I see rules as a challenge or I just don't know, but I utterly failed at keeping them. It would be far better for me not to have any, I think. And then it's all about choosing the right thing and knowing inside how to choose well. I was in the shower the other morning, about a couple of weeks ago, and I said to God very confidently in the shower, thank you for loving me. Even when I wasn't lovable, thank you for loving me. Because I thought that that sounded like a really good prayer. Oh, you're so good, God. You love me even when I'm not lovable. And he said there's never been a time when you've not been lovable. And I went, ah! (laughs) What? What? Never been a time when I've not been lovable. I could tell him a hundred things in a week, a hundred times in a week when I didn't think I was lovable. But, you know, if that's true for me, that there's never been a time when I'm not lovable, then it's true for you. It's true for each one of you. There has never been a time, there has never been a moment when you have not been lovable. Because it's not about behavior and it's not about our attitudes. It's not about our inner thoughts. It's about who we are and we are his children and I'm so glad we sang that song this morning you're a good good father because I was singing it this morning to myself and it's all about he's a good father and we are his children and we are loved by him that's it whether I go and stroke that chandelier or not I am loved by him every part of me and I could look at my childhood and my growing up and my early adult life and think of all the bad things and that's what used to happen i had a one of those consciences that satan used to love to pull the strings of. oh look at that time when you did oh look at them when you reacted like that oh look at what you were thinking then and i'd have these hot moments where i'd just be like oh gosh oh that's terrible, that's terrible, oh, oh, I'm terrible, I'm terrible, and I'd spiral into this awful pit of self-loathing and um, criticism and, you know, just hatred, really, of myself. And, um, but there's never been a time when I wasn't lovable. At my best, in my eyes. Or at my worst, in my eyes, I have always been, you have always been lovable. Completely, 100%. And that will never change. That will never change. Because it's about the nature of our God, the nature of our Father. And that's who he is. But growing up, we had this mentality in the Christian church the broad Christian church church, I'm not just talking about Kingsway, of where we were living in the servants' quarters. And it was all about, and Sue touched on this in the last couple of days, it was all about working really hard, working really hard for God, in the hope that we would come up to some kind of standard where he would find us acceptable. So whether it's getting to church early and putting the chairs out and being the last one to leave and putting them all away, or getting up early and reading your Bible, because every good Christian has to read a certain amount of the Bible every day, don't they? Whether it's your prayer life, how many hours do you pray? Oh gosh, somebody else, I can only manage 15 minutes, but somebody else is doing an hour better pull my socks up and get up to their standard. And they're probably looking at somebody else who's doing two hours and thinking, I'm not doing enough, I need to do more. And we were in this cycle of working, 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 because we we were living in this strange place of mixture where you get some law and it's all about work, my achievement my performance and you get some grace which is all about the love of god and his performance and his um you know what he's done but somehow where that overlaps there's this thing called mixture which is uh, revolting actually because what it does is um it creates a very unstable person who's not sure from one minute to the next what they're supposed to be doing and it creates a lot of anxiety inside us because we can never hit the standard that we think we've got to achieve and it's all about conditional love it's all about well if you read your bible enough then i'll love you if you repent enough then i'll love you and by repenting i mean like groveling on your knees because how do you ever know whether you've said sorry enough times how can you ever i mean there's some things that i've thought and said that have wounded people that i think I can never say I'm sorry in eno- enough times for that, to, for that to be better, can I? But that's what mixture is like. It's like wading through a bog, a marsh of trying to be better, knowing there's this lovely perfection and never being able to get there, but not having the power either to get there. And it's a really horrible place to live. And I think I wandered in that wilderness of mixture for 40 years. And then, well, it's probably a little bit longer, actually, because I'm not sure quite when we, when grace arrived in its full strength. But all of a sudden, into our church family came this teaching that was mind-blowing in its revolutionary simplicity and it's all about the cross and it's all about Jesus (laughs) it's all about him So I'm going to talk a little bit about living on the wrong side of the cross, if you like. If there's a a wrong side, there's the kind of the BC, the before cross um, experience, and it's really an experience of well, it's my experience, but I'm, but you probably share it in a lot of ways because it's this it's this living in in the bogland of mixture, living in the mixture marsh, really. Um, Because it's based in the Old Covenant. And the Old Covenant was what God gave because Moses and the people wanted law. That's what they asked for. They asked for a diet from the doctor. They asked for an exercise sheet from the latest exercise guru, in a way. Do you know what I mean? They asked for a program because they thought it would help them to get to where they thought God was. And God didn't want a program. He wanted a relationship, but the people wanted the program. But the, the whole point of the law was not to give us the power to reach the target. It wasn't to give us the power to fulfill the commandments. It wasn't to empower us to live this holy, relational life with God. The point of the law was like a mirror when you go and stand in front of it in the morning, bleary eyed. The point of the law was to point out our imperfections. But to, like, just like a mirror is powerless to change me into a beautiful creation in the morning. Um, the law is the same. It cannot, it cannot give us any power. All it can do is show us where we, f- where we failed. Show us the wrinkles, the spots, the blemishes, the lumps and bumps, or the lack of what, you know, what we think we should have. So the law is not a bad thing, but it was part of God's plan to show us again and again and again how much we need him, how much we can't do it. But because of the way that church history has been, we thought that it was God's plan to show us what we should be doing and how to do it. So it was a very disappointing life if you're living in that place of this is what, what I should be achieving, but I'm powerless to get there. It's very disappointing and painful, isn't it? So on, here, on this side, really, we've got the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which Irvin talked about, I think, was it yesterday? So from that tree, there's not a lot of good growing on that side, really. There's a lot of judgment on this side and fear of being judged. Fear of not making the grade. And the result of that is a guilty conscience. When we don't hit the target, make the grade, get the gold star. And doesn't Satan love to come and prod you in a, you know, in a way that makes you more and more aware of your guilt, more and more aware of where you've fallen short Because that actually that's his job. That's his job to accuse us. So when we're living out of this, eating from this fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we're allowing ourselves to stand in that place where he can come and accuse us. We don't feel like we have any defense. And there's a lot of shame here because we want to cover up and not be exposed because who wants... Who wants their inner faults to be exposed and condemnation? And it's a very dark place to live in, isn't it, when you feel condemned all the time? You feel condemned by God. You feel condemned by yourself. You feel condemned by people around you. And it's a dark place to live in. It's not nice at all. And you feel that there's a distance from God and a separation from his heart, really. And over here, it's all about my works, my efforts. It's about my performance. And it is really just like being on a, um, on a diet. It is, isn't it? It's like... It's just... Pardon? Grim. Grim. It's grim. It's very grim. And we ask ourselves, have I done enough? Am I enough? The emphasis being on I, of course, there. Do you want to borrow this one? And I thought, and a lot of Christians believe that the God of the Old Testament is an angry, demanding God. I didn't really like the God of the Old Testament a whole lot. So I think, I thought I was in a broken relationship with an angry, demanding God. have any of you seen Pride and Prejudice or read the book Pride and Prejudice yes Mr Darcy the rest of you need to watch it by the way but the BBC version is better than the film I have to say Um, Mr Darcy in in the story doesn't change at all He's always good, he's always kind, he's always generous. But Elizabeth, who doesn't know him, thinks that he is standoffish, rude, proud, arrogant, and um, she thinks there's this vast gap between them. But actually, Mr Darcy loves Elizabeth. He absolutely adores her. And it's only when she gets to know him and she only gets to know him when she goes and she goes to his home and she sees the real Mr Darcy. That's how she discovers this lovely man. And she suddenly has this very like strange time of wow, I thought I knew this man, but I don't know him. Because she talked to his servants and she talked to his family and she discovered a man that this man that adores me. He's actually a really nice guy. Not only is he nice, but he's very rich. Win-win. Win-win. absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Doesn't she say that? It's only when she went to the... Yeah. Yeah. I love that story. I'm a sucker for a good story. So there's a lot of rejection over here. And of course, self-rejection. Because if if I'm not good enough for God, then I'm not good enough for me. And I'm not good enough for the people around me. I did a lot of hiding on this side here. So I wouldn't have come and talked to you about about the real me. Because I was hiding. Because I wouldn't have wanted you to know the real me. Because it didn't match up to what you would have wanted. And there's anxiety and restlessness. Because we just feel like it's all up to us and we go around in little circles of, you know, angst. Maggie and I think we used to go on roundabouts regularly, didn't we, together of how difficult it all was. and Maggie has a phrase, and, and it's a great phrase, and she sometimes just says, I want to get off this bus. And sometimes you do feel that you're on a bus of some kind of like, oh, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with my life? Um, but it's, it's time to get off the bus. Because you're home. You're home. So... On this, side, I don't really like talking about this side, so I'm trying to make it f- as fun as possible. Um, there's hopelessness because we think, although we sing and talk in, in church about all my hope is in you, God, I think what we meant was all my hope is in you, but I still have to do all the work. I still have to somehow get there. I still have this race to run um, and it's still all about me. So we go around in cycles of um, trying and failing and trying harder and then failing again. And then some people just give up. And actually, I know a lot of people who um, did give up with Christianity in the 80s, in the 1980s, because they came to... They came to faith and everything was fun, but when it got into the hard work, I think the fun and the f- you feel like there's no fun because it's all the bad news, the bad news, the bad news uh, about what's wrong with me. I think people just gave up, and it and that, that makes me feel very sad because they don't know the other side of the story. They've not connected with that bit. So there's over here, there's poverty. There is a school of thought in Christianity that, you know, God keeps you poor and humble because then you're dependent on him. Um, I think that for centuries people have believed that, haven't they? That, you know, to be a truly pious religious person, you needed to be poor and live in lack. And over here you have sickness depression and living as orphans which i think is the root of things like depression and you know obviously i'm not talking about I'm not talking about physical mental health as an illness i'm talking about that living under that black cloud of condemnation which which produces that depressed state within us. But that's where I lived a lot of my life in that gloom of, oh God, I'm just rubbish. And I believed I can't do it. And a lot of the time I would just give up. And we, aren't over here, we're slaves to sin. So we're trying, we're in that trying, trying, trying to be good, trying to keep the rules, <coughs> trying to live up to that expectation. Because who doesn't want to be perfect? I mean, we all want to be clean, spotless, holy, don't we? That's, that's our nature as humans. We want that perfection. We want that purity. But as Paul says in, is it Romans six? Is it or the one where he says, "You know, I can't, I can't do it. I try. You know what? What shall become of me? Who can rescue me from this body of death?" I used to say, <laughs> I used to say that at home. Yes, who can rescue me? Because. It's a very frustrating place to live, isn't it, in there? It's really frustrating, and it's such hard work. However, the wonderful thing about the cross, I mean, there's lots, gosh, there's lots of wonderful things about the cross, and I'm sure you'll discover a billion of them over our destiny. But Jesus, on this cross, fulfilled every requirement of that law. So in his life, he fulfilled all the ceremonial requirements, all the the details that that were in that law. In his life, he, he lived that perfect holy life. But he didn't just... He didn't just live it as an example and I think a lot of the time if you certainly if you listen to certain hymns and there's even carols about Jesus being a perfect example of the life that we should all live he didn't do it like that remotely his humanity his taking on that nature of a human as he fulfilled every requirement of the law He did it on behalf of humanity. He did it as you, as me. So every time he performed a perfect action and almost ticked a box, not that it was like that, but do you know what I mean? If God had said, I need you to do this, this and this, that we can't do, Jesus, not just, he didn't just scrape through that test. He surpassed it. He did it in such a perfect way. And every time we see in the Old Testament there's a requirement, Jesus fulfilled that requirement, as you, as me. And all those promises in the Bible in the Old Testament that are conditional, and they, they start with the phrase, if you obey my commands, I will. And there's a lovely passage in Deuteronomy, I think it is. If you obey my commands, I will bless you. I will bless the work of your hands. I will bless your kneading bowls and your bread. I will bless, and it's a list. I will bless your going out and your coming in. And it all starts with, if you will. So we love the bit, and loads of people have little plaques up, don't they, in their homes saying, I will bless your going out and your coming in now and forever or something. I've seen those homes and it's lovely but the first bit is if you will obey me which of course we cannot do but Jesus did it he is the the one who on our behalf and as we were in him before the foundation of the earth as he fulfilled every requirement of the father in the law he did it as us So now you can read those passages in the Old Testament and they are no longer conditional on your behaviour. They are all about his behaviour. Now you can live this life where he says your kneading bowl is blessed. Well, that's the work of your hands. That's your business life. That's your family life. You know, you could think about all my activities are blessed because Jesus went to the cross spotless, sinless, and holy, having fulfilled all of that for me. Those are my blessings now. Those are the things that I walk in. That's my inheritance now. So, because Jesus took on that nature of a servant, we don't have to live servant lives. Yay! We st- we can still put the chairs out on a Sunday, and we can still be the last one home, having put them all away again. But like Ervin said the other day, we do that out of a love and a joy and a, a devotion to each other because we're family. That's what a family does. It cares about each other. But we don't do it like mm, I've got to. I've got to. I've got to anymore. So we have new clothes. We have new sparkly clothes. Pardon? I might might need a robing assistant. Just hope it fits. If it fits Irving, it must fit me, surely. Thank you. So this is the dressing gown of glory or something. I'm not sure what it is. And this is my perfection now. So we're going to look at the other side of the cross now and all those beautiful things that Jesus bought with his blood. So we are now in perfect union with the Trinity and Maggie's going to share about that later so I won't talk about the details of that. But over here we are eating from the tree of Life, And it's a whole lot prettier than the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So now, because Jesus took all my sin and that no good, depressed, hopeless self on him because I died in him, I was crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So if you were to look in here, you would see the Trinity. You would see the Christ living in me. There are no layers under here of dirty clothes. There are no stinky undergarments No sweaty socks, no rags. Under here are layer after layer after layer of pure, holy, spotless, perfect garments. That's what you're clothed in. And if you, like an onion, stripped off layer after layer after layer and got to the very core of your being in there, is purity, holiness, and perfect love right in there. There is not one single, not one single grey speck in there. You are new, new, that never-before-seen-anywhere invention. That's who you are. That's your life now. That's the source of your life right inside of you. And wherever you go, that's what you take with you. You'll always, always, always be spotless, pure and holy. We are righteous. That's the biblical word. Holy. Washed clean in his blood. Which sounds very religious, doesn't it? It does sound very religious, but it's true. We are washed clean. Jesus' blood was an overpayment. His death was an overpayment for sin. So if you've sinned an ounce, then Jesus has overpaid you your sin like an elephant in comparison, or I should say a gram for the Germans, sorry. We don't do ounces, do we? We do grams. But you know what I mean. He is overpaid for our sin. We are innocent. I've probably not spelled that. And we have been reconciled to God We have been brought back into relationship with the Father by Jesus. And we don't have to try and work that relationship out. We don't have to strain ourselves to produce a relationship with Jesus. Do you have to work very, 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 very hard to love your wife, Jonas? No you mean no. no no I do not because she is beautiful yes Jesus does not have to work hard to love us he doesn't we are always lovable and we have an effortless intimacy with him I like that So that means when you're riding your bike, playing your guitar, crocheting, what do you like to do? What are your hobbies? Oh, playing the violin. When you're playing the violin, painting. Andy, when you're out on the streets with your boy in your neighborhood, when you're with your family at home or when you're out having fun at the pictures. Effortless intimacy with the Trinity. And you don't ever have to feel guilty that you're not at home doing 10 hours of Bible study because the word of God lives in you. We are sons and daughters. We are princes and princesses. We don't live in the servants' quarters in the big house anymore. We live in the master bedroom with the ensuite. Mm -hmm. We are home. I am home. I am home whether I am here or whether I am abroad. I am at home when I'm out in a nightclub (coughs) and I don't like nightclubs. And so it's an alien environment, but I am at home in that. Alien environment, just as much as I am when I'm sat at home with my slippers on, because home is in here. My what? My pipe and slippers. I've given up the pipe, (laughs) Mackie. We rest in green pastures. Ah, I'll tell you something about green pastures. Those green pastures do not need mowing. They don't need trimming. They don't need somebody coming in and saying, oh, there's a bit of a bald patch there. I'll just put some stuff on that for you. They don't need us to jump up and suddenly think, oh, I've got, to, there's a bit of gardening there. There's a bit of something there. There's a bit of, I just need to fix that. And then I can rest. Because we are like that in, in our homes and in our gardens and in our lives, aren't we? But these green pastures that Jesus gives us, he's, the gardener Astra <laughs> But he's the gardener. He's the one that produces that perfection around you for you to rest in. So we have peace. We're in union with the Trinity. And we are blessed. You remember the story of Ruth. Been thinking quite a bit about the story of Ruth recently, and um, if you don't know the story of Ruth very well, there's there's a lovely picture of Jesus. That's where Jesus is hiding. He's in the story of Ruth. He is the character of Boaz, who marries. Ruth and takes her as she's an alien you know she's a refugee isn't she she's a she's a person with no home no nationality no family no people of her own and Boaz puts his cloak over her as just like Jesus puts his cloak over us and he draws her into his family it's a beautiful story but Boaz tells his workers to leave leave some extra grain for Ruth to to pick up because she's, she's not able to work. And so she goes and she follows behind Boaz's men and she gathers this grain. And she can gather 10 days' supply. That's how much they leave for her in one day. So she has enough supply there of grain for herself, her, her mother-in-law, and to give away to her neighbours. And that's just a perfect picture of Jesus, where we put... So much emphasis on we have to work for our salvation. Jesus is handing out, he's leaving the grain, he's pouring it out more than we can carry, more than we can ask for or imagine. That's how blessed we are. We are accepted, we are beloved. We are chosen. So you don't have to think anymore. Oh, I'm only here because I've kind of sneaked in the back door. He didn't really want me. You know, I'm, I'm not really the, the most loved, the most gifted. I'm not really the, you know. If, if there was a PE team and they were choosing sides, I'd always be the last one to be picked. No more thinking like that he's chosen you because he loves you we are calm inside when we when we're living on this in this truth we're calm on the inside because we know that he is in control I don't have to work it all out anymore we have freedom from the hamster wheel. We used to have a hamster and um, we've only ever had one and I, would, I wouldn't, just wouldn't get another one because I found it quite upsetting watching that poor little fellow trying to get out of his cage every night and he'd spend all night trying to escape and he'd be running around on that wheel and it, bless him, he just didn't know that he'd never get anywhere. I mean he did get places, he got under the floor once and then it, he got up the stairs and into my bedroom in the middle of the night but you know technically he didn't get anywhere on you know he didn't get anywhere on that wheel he wasn't going anywhere and we've got the freedom from that constant effort self effort of trying to sort it all out we have his riches we have his favor And his provision. Because of what Jesus has done. Joseph Prince says that Jesus died young so that we can live a long life. He died in poverty so that we can be rich. He died with nothing, literally nothing, not even a shred of his own clothing left. So that we could have all that we need. We have divine health And his protection. I think Andy was saying that yesterday, weren't you? You don't even need to pray for protection. You are protected. You just know that wherever you are, he has got you. You're in the shadow of his wings. So that Psalm 91 is really nice to read for that. we are partakers of the divine nature i really like that phrase i spent quite a while one day mulling over what partakers means <laughs> well i think what it means is that you are that everything he has we have so you're taking part in it so you're like marinating in it sort of stewing in it, absorbing what it is. You know, his nature, we, we kind of... You know when you make a stew and you put the dumplings in the top and they kind of they take on the, the luscious flavour, don't they? Or the meat, you know, all marinates and soaks in the, in the red wine and the flavour and I'm making you hungry now. Yeah. And I think that's what being a partaker of his nature is. We are the dumplings in his divinity. In the stew. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I thought when you said partake, so I've never thought about it. But well, if you're on a part with somebody, it's an equal Ooh. share. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh! You are my equal, my bride, an equal share. Wow. like made to be a volunteer or roped into something, well, i that also like a welcomed invitation to do something? Yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah, yes, yeah, sure yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Yeah. It's like you've been to the top table, isn't it, really? No. Yes. yes. Well, yeah. it's even better than that. It's even better than equal because in Christ we're more than conquerors because He's done it all. We don't have to even have to do all dirty so We get all the blessing without all that. So it's even better than that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I can do all things. Maggie, would you like to sing it? donut man it's the cheesiest christian how many things things. it was it was old when they were young wasn't it it was cheesy christian but but it's never but that it's so true isn't it we can do all things through christ and that's the key because we're in him So we live this overcoming life, like Rose has just said. We are overcomers. We have life in the spirit. And we are slaves to something else now slaves to love. We are slaves to righteousness. We cannot help ourselves. We cannot help ourselves but be righteous. So every day you can look at yourself. I like to do this in the shower sometimes. I like to stand in the shower and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And then I have a little ponder about being in Christ and about being clean and holy all the way through and God talks to me a lot in the shower. I think it's because I haven't got my phone, haven't got the distraction of anybody around me. It's just me and him. And he just speaks to me a lot of his love and his goodness. (laughs) it's just just righteousness yeah 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 you can't you can't help yourself but because you are righteous righteousness is a is flows out of you in your behavior and your attitudes and things. and then when you get it wrong i mean we can all behave like a cow i am still the righteousness of God in christ because it's not about my behavior it's about his nature in me i mean it's just outrageous is it not outrageous it's a scandal isn't it so i've got some i 've got some nice Bible verses to read for you because I love the um you know, the different versions and things and came across these in the Passion when the Passion first came out. So I'll just read these. This is Galatians 2.20. My old life was crucified with Christ and no longer lives, for I was fully united with him in his death. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine, for Christ lives his life through me. My real life is Christ. We live as one. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and he dispenses his life into mine. I love that. It's gorgeous, isn't it? He dispenses his life into yours. So all that's old has gone and he pours his new life in. Every minute of every day. This is Galatians 3.13. Yet Christ, our anointed substitute, paid the full price to set us free from the curse of the law. He absorbed it completely as he became a curse in our place. So he took the full punishment on the cross. The full punishment. He didn't buy you in a bargain bin. He didn't (laughs) buy you at a discounted price. He didn't go home and say to the father, "Look what I got in Aldi." (laughs) (laughs) He bought you in the Harrods food hall or wherever the, you know, German equivalent is, Marks and Spencers. Bought you in Waitrose. Overheard in Waitrose. Jesus saying to the Father, look, look at them, they're perfect, I'm having them. This is the message, Romans 6, 6. Could it be any any clearer, our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin-miserable life, no longer at sin's every beck and call. You are dead to sin and alive to God, that's what Jesus did. So I just want to read this. I wasn't sure how to finish this and I was just asking God yesterday. I just want something lovely to finish this off with. And I went upstairs, leafed through here and it found this and thought this is perfect. So if you want to, you can close your eyes and you can just absorb the... Um, the this is Joseph Prince's devotional. I'm not being paid. I'm not on commission. From uh, Pastor Prince. (laughs) Not yet. Um, So you could just hug the Trinity inside you if you want to while you listen to this. Just relax and take in this lovely truth. This is John 10 10. I, Jesus, have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Though Jesus is completely God, he was born completely human. He went through temptation after temptation. And conquered every one of them. And all that overcoming power is found in his life. And he put that life in you. The life of Christ is in you. During Jesus' ministry on earth, he conquered sickness, the winds and waves, the powers of darkness and death. It is his life that brings victory over the devil and all his works. And he put that life in you. The life of Christ is in you. Finally, Jesus went to the cross, and that life in him put an end to everything that was natural of the Adamic race. Sickness, poverty, failures, pains, curses and death. All that was natural ceased to be in that life of his. But all that was supernatural remained in him, and he put that life in you The life of Christ is in you. Then Jesus rose from the dead, and in that life of his was added the power of resurrection, and he put that life in you. The life of Christ is in you. After his resurrection, Jesus went back to heaven to his Father. Today he is seated at the right hand of God, resting in his finished work, occupying a place of the highest authority. And he put that life in you. The life of Christ is in you. And because Jesus went back to the Father, the Holy Spirit came to indwell you so that you will live life with his anointing in you and walk in his overcoming power. All that Jesus is, God meant for you to be. All that he has, God meant for you to have all the exciting things that you read in the Bible about Jesus, all the treasures of him hidden in the Old Testament and the unsearchable riches in him that you find in the New Testament, all of that life of his is not out there somewhere. God has deposited it, all of it, in you so that you can live the abundant life that Jesus came to give you. Thank you for listening to the IDestiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.